Blog Talk Radio. Soon the Hokies will take this field. 45 seconds to air, ladies and gentlemen. 45. In 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Wayne Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia. Folks, we go to noisy stadiums all around the country. I'm not sure we have ever been in a scene where fans are any more pumped than they are right here tonight. And there's not much better than watching 66,000 strong welcome their Hokies. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good day. Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, the one and only Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life of Country, and welcome to the show. As usual, we have a lot of things on tap for today's show. Of course, we're going to continue our countdown to kickoff series where we cover every college football team in the country, from the contenders to the pretenders to the dark horses to the teams that may surprise and to the coaches who may find themselves on the coach hot seat. I consider it my duty. I consider it my calling. Hell, I consider it my responsibility to let you guys know what's going on in the world of sports. So uh, with our Countdown to Kickoff series, we have the luxury of having guests come on from all over the country, sports writers from SB Nation, from Bleacher Report, from Fansided, to share their passion, to share their enthusiasm, to share why their team may be one of the teams to finish as the only one to hoist up the trophy. Will it be your team? Will it be your team? Uh, We're going to have guests come on to share why their team will either, one, duplicate the success of last season, or either, two, be able to get a better taste of defeat that, of course, ruined their season and, of course, motivated and drove them to try to uh, do better uh, in 2016. So that's what I'm really excited about. We're going to continue. That's going to go on later on in the show. But, of course, let's go ahead and start our show like we always do with our... With our breaking news segment. First up on breaking news. Let's see here. Let me scroll up. My computer's freezing. Okay, first up in breaking news. I typically don't report on baseball, but uh, hey, here we go. Uh, During the rain delay uh, prior to the matchup between the Atlanta Braves and Chicago Cubs, a fan literally fell from the outfield bleachers onto Wrigley Field. Now, of course, you know, uh, in this particular situation, I ask and pray that uh, this gentleman, of course, is okay. At this particular point, the state, the status of the fan is unknown. Uh, he was reportedly uh, conscious, breathing, but yet uh, he was recently just carried away in a stretcher. So uh, for my baseball fans, for my Chicago Cubs fans, just pray and hope that this gentleman is actually fine. Uh, when you think about baseball, a lot of times you don't think about the safety You don't think about the risk that the fans take who go to the game. We hear often about pitchers being hit with baseballs. We often at times hear about balls randomly finding itself in the stands. Although it's not a common occurrence, although we have to be concerned about the safety of the players, we also must also consider 
about the safety of the fans. Because without the fans, there's no baseball. And at one point, baseball was our pastime, and now it finds itself as being moving on. In other breaking news, it seems as if the Baylor exodus continues as six players who were signings in the part of one of the best freshman classes that was going to be uh, already uh, left for schools in Texas and Auburn. Um, it seems as if Jared Sigum, who at one point was supposed to be the future of the program, he decided to transfer too. Now, current interim coach Jim Grove said the reason why he decided to transfer is because he doesn't want to be the backup. But come on, ladies and gentlemen, let's be real. If, in fact, you see that the chances of you starting are grim to non-existent and you know that you're not going to be able to get any playing time, why not go ahead and sit out this year and go ahead and try to prepare to play elsewhere where you know that you may have a better chance of starting. And also, considering the state of the Baylor program, uh, this actually may, kind of, may be considered to be a very wise decision for Jared Sidham. Sit out the year and find yourself uh, being able to uh, select where you go and avoid uh, the, the ongoing storm that, of course, is now uh, taking place in Baylor. So good luck to Jared Stidham. All those things, of course, did not work out for him as being a starter in his sophomore season. He definitely did show glimpses of greatness, competence, and athleticism and toughness uh, in his first season as, uh, in his first season with the Baylor Bears. And so it's a story we're definitely going to continue to watch to see where he ends up. Uh, considering the fact that Baylor – is in the Big 12, and considering the fact that he has three years of eligibility if he goes to a school outside of the Big 12, we can at least say that we know that he will not find himself at, uh, <laughs> at the University of Texas like the other former Baylor Bears, four, four of the former Baylor Bears have found themselves. In other breaking news, the NFL released new verbiage on what is a catch. You know, we used to think that a catch was something that was pretty easy to be able to tell by the naked eye. But then, of course, we had the catch that wasn't a catch, that wasn't that was an incomplete pass. Uh, in the case of Calvin Johnson, when he clearly caught the ball, but it hit the ground. And, of course, we had the catch that wasn't a catch uh, when Des Bryant, clearly caught the ball, but, of course, uncertainty was awry in regards to what happened after he caught the ball. So the NFL released these three new rules in regards to determining what a catch is. Number one, it says the ball has to be secure. Number two, it says the player is in bounds. Number three, it says the receiver maintains control long enough to become a runner. Specifically, the new, the new wording said that if the player goes to the ground before, stab, before establishing as a runner, he must maintain control of the ball until after his initial contact with the ground, whether in the field of play or the end zone. If he loses control of the ball and the ball touches the ground before he regains control, the pass is incomplete. If he regains control prior to the ball touching the ground, the pass is complete. Now, I don't know about you, but still, all those words still leave me completely confused because I still don't understand why Calvin Johnson's catch wasn't a catch. I still don't understand why Des Bryant's catch also wasn't a catch. But give him an A for effort. 
Schumer A for trying to clear up this ambiguity, but in their attempts to try to clear it up, they just made things a whole lot more unclear for me. And now, oh well, in other breaking news, um, the Bovado uh, Las Vegas line recently just released their odds for the SEC. As the, according to Las Vegas Bovado odds, it says that uh, the Tennessee Volunteers are considered to be the odds-on favorite to win the SEC East with the odds of four to five. Now, of course, on my past show, I've had guests come on to talk about the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, we think, honestly, in my own opinion, they definitely do have the talent to be able to do that. But the thing is, will they have the execution? Of course, as you expected, Alabama, of course, is considered to be odds on favorite uh, to win the SEC West. Now, overall, Alabama is also considered to be the odds on favorite to win the entire SEC championship. Now, of course, is that really a surprise? Not really. Sitting at number two is the second odds on favorite with the odds of seven to two are the LSU Tigers. Again, the LSU Tigers definitely do have the talent, but ultimately it's going to come down to Brandon Harris, a quarterback. I recently posted an article on my website at eatdrinksleepsports.com talking about Brandon Harris and the tremendous amount of pressure that rests on the shoulders and on the arm of this 20-year-old junior. So, again, those are the odds, but, of course, we do know that odds oftentimes are nothing more than educated guesses educated guesses to help the people in Vegas win money and the people who are fans lose money. So rely on those odds at your own risk. And that, of course, concludes my breaking news segment. The breaking news segment, again, is brought to you guys by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. That's E-A-T-D-R-N-K-S-L-P-S-P-R-T-C.com. Make sure you check out the site. I have a lot of new articles posted and working on a couple of other ones. Of course, the D-Wade one is definitely one you should check out. It should be posted uh, later tonight. Now, of course, on today's show, we're going to continue our countdown to kickoff series uh, where we cover programs and have guests come on to share their insights, their thoughts, their opinions, and their expectations for the programs that they cover uh, going into the upcoming season. Uh, we've covered teams from the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, and, of course, the Pac-12, that's really 14. So we try to cover all our bases. So if, in fact, you have a team that you feel as if it's been ignored, dismissed, or overlooked, please email the show so we can make sure that we definitely cover them. On uh, tonight's show, uh, we're going to be talking about the Virginia Tech Hokies. Now, the Virginia Tech Hokies, of course, entered into a new era of football. For 29 years, it's been Beamer Ball. 29 years, it's been Beamer Ball. And it definitely has been a time of great success. However, lately it's been a time of a slow descension to mediocrity. From At one point in time, the Hokie program was definitely amongst the nation's elite. But it was either one due to old age or due to the fact that the message just wasn't getting through to the players, the Hokies have found themselves on a steady decline, uh, finishing uh, two back-to-back seasons, seven and six. At one point in time, the Hokies were not only considered to be uh, conference favorites to dominate the division in the ACC and at one at one point the Big East, but they were also considered to be national title contenders. But to think now that that time has been so long ago, so many things have changed since then. 
But as of course, uh, the Virginia Tech Hokies have been able to embrace a lunch tail mentality. Their players may not be five stars. Their players may not be considered locks to be future All-Americans and things of that nature. But uh, embracing the beam of all way, they've always been able to exceed the expectations and the accolades that accompany them uh, coming from high school. And so the expectation going into this season is fueled with uncertainty. Although they do have Bud Foster back uh, to man the defense, we really don't know what to expect from their offense. We do know that their new coach, Justin Fuente, uh, comes from a a background where they ran the spread offense, and where, of course, they were able to utilize and maximize the, uh, the number of athletes that they had on the field. Uh, considering the, set, the success that uh, Coach Fuente had at Memphis, the expectation should be that with better talent that uh, they should be able to continue to do well. Now, one of the things that's kind of interesting about the Virginia Tech Hokie offense is the Virginia Tech program overall is uh, we know that they're going to have a good defense. We know that that the defense is going to be very little to be questioned about. But again, everything ultimately comes down to uh, the growing pains that's going to take place in regards to an adjustment uh, going from an eye back set uh, to a more spread offense. Now, of course, you do know that Virginia Tech always, always is going to have athletes at its disposal on both sides of the ball. They may not be household names, but come game day, those guys are always ready. Uh, for today's show, we're going to have a guest come on by the name of Roy Hatfield. He uh, writes for GobblerCountry.com, uh, which, of course, is by SB Nation. And he's going to share with us his thoughts on what he expects the Virginia Tech Hokies uh, to be able to do in this upcoming season. Now, of course, everybody would like to dream that they have a, the talent, the ability, uh, the acumen to be able to contend for a national championship. But the truth matter of the fact is that every team is different and every team's expectations of what would be considered a good season varies based off of each program. Now, of course, you do know that although the Virginia Tech Hokies definitely did have a disappointing season, I mean, any season where you finish with seven and six when the program once was a proud program that averaged 10 to 11 wins a season, uh, we do know that the talent is there. But the question is going to be is, how long will the learning curve? How long? How long will the learning curve be for the Virginia Tech coaches? We do know that these are college athletes. We do know that these are students who also, of course, carry a tremendous work academic workloads along with them. So being adjusted to a new offense is not something that's going to happen overnight. Now, of course, we have seen offenses and teams be able to transition seamlessly. That's what we saw with Florida with Jim McElwain, who went from not going bowling, and then find themselves going 10 and 2. So the question is, what would be, what are the expectations uh, for the Virginia Tech Hokies going into this upcoming season? I'm really excited. We know that we have 61 days into the Battle of Bristol. Uh, the Battle of Bristol, of course, is going to be a matchup uh, that's going to take place at Bristol City Speedway uh, between the Hokies and the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, both teams enter into this game with a lot of hype and expectation. Not much is expected of the Virginia Tech Hokies going into that game, but you know that can all change very quickly. 
We saw what the Virginia Tech Hokies did to an Ohio State team that was supposed to win a national championship, but eventually did win a national championship. So we do know that the stage is not going to be too big for them. We do know that the foster defense is definitely going to be one that's ready. But in order to get some questions, not only about the offense, but also about the expectations of that program going into the subcoming procedure, let's go ahead and get Roy Hatfield of Gobble Country on the line to uh, find out what's happening and to find out what's up with these Hokies going into the subcoming season. Hey, how are you I prepped for the show by listening to Enter into the Sandman, and I can tell you that honestly, man, <laughs> I cannot wait until the Battle of Bristol. I remember my first time ever watching Virginia Tech play uh, when they had their first, the year before Michael Vick, when they played in the Music City Bowl, and I was amazed. Even though I didn't know what a Hokie was, uh, going to the parades and seeing the passions and the pageantry of the fan base there. It was definitely something that was infectious. Uh, what you yeah, that, 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 that was a game. Uh, that was a game that the Hokies beat Alabama. If you talk to my Alabama friends, nobody remembers that game. But I was actually at that game. Yeah. I remember that game well. That was uh, that was that was one of the coldest coldest games I've ever been to. That was a definitely a scene. It's always good to beat the Crimson Tide. Which we could wish we could have done that last year, two years ago. Oh, absolutely. Now, of course, you know, going into this season is going to mark a new era for the Virginia Tech Hokies. You know, for 29 years, it's pretty much been the Frank Beamer way. Uh, now, of course, we do know that uh, Bud Foster went ahead and stayed on staff with the defense. But what should we expect from a just, Justin Fuente office coming into this upcoming season? Well, judging by everything that we've seen this spring and everything we've heard from the players, one one of the words that gets brought up quite a bit is tempo. Uh, you know, Fuente is is kind of a full throttle guy. I had the the pleasure to to, to chat with Coach Fuente, and and one of the things he said, we're going to have tempo, but we're not going to have tempo just for the just for the sake of being fast. He said that they really want to work on being effective with the plays they have. So look for a higher higher rate of tempo from our offense. Look for more plays. Look for just a little bit more energy on the offensive side this year. Now, although we do know that, uh, you know, uh, he definitely worked wonders uh, with Memphis, bringing them back to uh, relevance uh, from the dwellers, dwellers of college football. Uh, the talent uh, is far from there uh, at Virginia Tech. I know one of the things I'm really excited about is uh, watching the quarterback battle take place. Now, of course, uh, we do know that Motley got his fair share of experience last year due to the injuries of Brewer, and we also know that Fuente also is bringing on, uh, bringing on uh, Gerard, uh, a J.C. Uh, transfer who was amazing. Uh, what should we, what's the state of that uh, quarterback battle, and uh, do you see it going on throughout the season? Well, it, Fuente, one, one big difference between Fuente and Beamer, they've been really tight-lipped as far as these quarterback, this quarterback battle is concerned this spring. Uh, I can tell you, uh, from all accounts, all the folks I talked to in Blacksburg, Gerard Evans is going to be your guy. Uh, you know, he, he comes from Trinity Valley uh, College out in Texas at JUCO. He had 38 touchdowns and three interceptions in eight games. Now, I understand those, those stats are going to be – you know, you're playing against a junior college competition. Uh, but, you know, Evans had a relationship with Fuente when Fuente was at Memphis. 
And one of the big gets he's had as far as a, a recruiting get is bringing is able to get Gerard Evans. Evans was ranked by some services as number one dual threat quarterback coming out of JUCO. Other people have most services had him in their top five of all, all dual threat quarterbacks. So. It's really Evans' job to lose. Now, you talk about uh, Brendan Miley. He had a chance to start six games for the Hokies last year. He, he did He did okay. He was serviceable. He threw 11 touchdowns. He got picked off seven times. He didn't get a lot of help from that offensive line, that is for sure, if you got to watch any of the tag games last year. But for me, I think it's going to be Evans with Miley uh, playing, playing the backup role. And that's where it kind of gets interesting because we have a couple young quarterbacks on the bench who arrived on campus uh, with a lot of hype, one of them being Dwayne Lawson. Dwayne, got, Dwayne Lawson is a true sophomore. Here's a kid who was a four-star uh, QB out of Florida, uh, commits to Tech, and most most people thought he would get shirted last year. He ended up getting into nine games uh, excuse me, he ended up having just about nine plays, it seemed like. And it, it seemed to me and, and a lot of folks it was kind of a waste of the red shirt. So the, the rumor now or the thought now is maybe Lawson gets red shirted this year, as odd as that may sound. Now, again, I'm on the line with um, Roy Hatfield, uh, SB Nation writer for GobblerCountry.com. Now, of course, although there is definitely still a little a tad bit of uncertainty at the quarterback position, there's no better luxury than being able to have a, a reliable running back to uh, depend on. Now, of course, uh, the running back coming back this year is uh, Trevon McMillan, who ran for 1,043 yards, averaged about 5.7 yards of carry, which is amazing. He has not got a lot of his fair share of due share of praise, but educate my listeners on this dynamic running back and uh, what we can expect for him in his new uh, Wednesday offense. Well, Traylon McMillan, this is a stat that might blow your mind. He's the first Virginia Tech running back to run over 1,000 yards since back when David Wilson did it in 2011. So that's a good five-year, four or five-year stretch where the Hokies hadn't had a had a 1,000-yard back. McMillan's that kind of back. He kind of he gets stronger as the game goes on. He's one of those running backs that he needs 20 to 25 carries to really show what he can do to really kind of wear down that defense. He's a great blend of speed and power. This year with Fuente, I mean, it just similar to last season, but I think it's even going to be uh, exaggerated is the the sharing of the ball back there. I know that Trayvon's got the numbers going in. He had a great average, as you mentioned. Uh, but look for running backs like Sean McKenzie to have a big season as well. He's coming off an injury from last year. He didn't get any 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 playing time last year, so he's going to be fresh. And Marshawn Williams is an absolute beast. When you think about an old-school throwback power running back, Marshawn Williams is your guy. He's a 5'11", 239-pound bowling ball. So keep your keep your eye out for that name next season. But you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I think McMillan's going to get your bulk of the carries. He's going to be spilled by, by Sean McKenzie. And then look for Marshawn Williams as well, especially short yards. That guy uh, is, comes through like a hammer through that line. He is, he's going to have a, a good season for us. Yeah, and speaking of exciting, I know one of the things that's always great about a Virginia Tech offense is uh, the number of playmakers that they have. Uh, they find them in all different places. you got Bucky Hodge, who in my opinion is probably one of the most talented uh, tight ends in the country. And then Isaiah Ford, who of course caught 1,164 yards receiving last year. Just thinking about 
those type of numbers being being translated to the Fuente offense really uh, can make a lot of Pokey Nation fans feel excited about the offense and uh, how far, how explosive they could potentially be in the subconscious. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I think if if you look up and down a roster for the best NFL prospect, I think you don't look much further than Bucky Hodges. I mean, the guy is the 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 next version of Gronkowski, if you will. He's six seven, two forty five, and can run. You know, he came to Blacksburg. He came to Virginia Tech as a is a quarterback recruit, believe it or not. And he made the transition to tight end, and he has the athleticism. You know, he's a second-team All-ACC guy last season. Definitely a great option, you know, as you know, in these, in these, in these quick, tight uh, dump-offs. You know, having a big target like Bucky Hodges in the middle, that's a great release. That's a great uh, rescue play for a lot of quarterbacks out there. As far as Isaiah Ford goes, you know, you said at 1,000 yards, uh, you know, he's a, this is another shocking stat to me. He's the, the first Virginia Tech receiver ever to have 1,000 yards receiving. He also set records last year. He had 11 touchdowns on the year, which broke the Virginia Tech all-time record. He also had a game against the Wolfpack where he had three touchdowns in one quarter. So definitely, definitely got some talent around. Uh, the, the question is going to be, can Fuente translate that into consistent performance? Again, I'm on the line with Roy Hatfield, SB Nation writer for GobblerCountry.com. Now, of course, there are definitely some questions on offense. Uh, of course, there's going to be a, a, a learning curve, but based off of the talent that they do have coming back, uh, that learning curve, the expectations that learning curve will be quick. Now, turning to the defense. Now, one of the things about a Bud Foster defense is, yes, they do lose a lot of players due to graduation, is that they always have people uh, ready to step up. People who, of course, may not have been able to start, but due to the revolving door of how he executes his defense, uh, what should we expect from a Bud Foster defense this upcoming season? Well, I can almost guarantee you it's going to be better than the product we saw last year in 2015. You know, we had a, a pretty rough year defensively. The Tech only had 26 sacks. They allowed 181 yards per rush. That's the most under under Bud Foster, the most amount of yards allowed and the least amount of sacks. So I think that those that trend's gonna that trend's gonna reverse this year. You know, we got a we got some great talent on the defensive line. My my biggest question heading into this season is going to be at the linebacking core, uh, where we're where we're thin, especially at middle. Uh, Andrew Matuapuaka had a great year last year as far as coming on toward the end of the season is. If you had to had to put me on the spot and ask me which defensive player grew the most or got better as the season went on, it would definitely be Moto at the middle linebacker spot. But that's a position we're going to be thin on. We just lost Carson Lydon, who's a kid from Tarpon, Florida, who decided to transfer uh, for undisclosed reasons, and he was slated to be Matuapawaka's backup. So linebacking crew definitely has some some questions. Uh, as far as your secondary goes, I mean, it's DBU for a reason. Uh, I think we're going to be better uh, this year in the secondary. We got senior Chuck Clark, uh, free safety. He's on the big Narek watch list. And in the corners, we'll have our starters be Brandon Faison and Greg Stroman. Both guys took play a lot for us last year. I'm going to look for a lot more turnovers this year and a, and a lot more sacks. So, Bud Foster definitely knows that. He's going to have the luxury of some points to play with. If Fuente should be able to score some points, and I think that's going to put him in better headspace to be able to be more aggressive defensively. 
Now, of course, one of the things that I found myself looking at when I was looking up and down the roster of the Virginia Tech Hokies is I was like, man, we have some creative names. And I was like, man, we have to be able to make a Virginia Tech all-name team because, of course, Virginia Tech puts us being creative. I mean, you got Shy McKenzie, Wyatt Teller, Augie Conti, Bucky Hodges, we spoke on him, Nigel Winnems, Adonis Alexander, Luke Reynolds, Chuck Clark. I mean, these names are just, you just don't see these names. These names are something that you see made up. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, uh, just on that sidebar, uh, what will be considered a successful season uh, for the Virginia Tech Hokies coming up this year? You know, that's a great question. Uh, you know, every about about this year, every time me and my guys on our site, we kind of we kick back through emails and we kind of kind of make our predictions. You know, last year we ended up seven and six with the ball win against Tulsa, the Independence Bowl, uh, put us slightly over five hundred. You know, I, it's one of those deals where I think the team's going to be better, but the record may not reflect that simply based on our schedule. Uh, you know, right. you talked about it at the beginning of the segment. You know, we're going to be traveling up to Bristol. Uh, you know, it's a neutral with with quotation marks uh, site game. It's in Bristol, right on the Virginia-Tennessee line, 150,000 people, probably the, the biggest college football game that's ever been played. It's going to be a tough, tough venue for the Hokies to go in and get a win, not to mention the fact that in November we travel to South Bend for the first-ever meeting between Virginia Tech and Notre Dame. Uh, which is going to be huge again, but a lot of a lot of preseason uh, polls have Notre Dame in the top ten. You know, we we do have to go to Pittsburgh, which has been kind of a bugaboo for us lately, playing up at Heinz Field. That's on a Thursday night. So I think that the talent's there to to have a great season, but that schedule, man, that schedule is setting up tough. I mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, one of the things that's so exciting, probably why you and I both are passionate about college football is because you can throw rash into the wind because on any given Saturday, Thursday, or Tuesday, or whenever they play the game, anything can happen. And the Hokies have definitely uh, shown us that time in and time out. I want to thank you for coming on to the show, and I want you to give my, tell my listeners where they can uh, read your articles and also follow you on Twitter. Absolutely. You can check out all our all our great writers and all our great content at gobblercountry.com. You can follow us on Twitter at gobblercountry. You can always check us out on Facebook. Just search Gobbler Country, and you'll find all the great Virginia Tech news and notes. All right. Well, thank you for coming on to the show, and I definitely want to have you uh, on the show throughout the season. Sixty Less than 60 days until Bristol, Battle in Bristol. Thank you so much. All right, have a great night. Now, one of the things that's interesting is whenever you think about college football and you think about fans and pageantry, is you, a lot of times fans throw rash into the wind. Every year they, they presume that their team is going to be able to contend for national championships. So to be able to hear uh, a Twitter fan be able to display rash to why their team may be able to had a successful season, despite not winning a national championship, is something that's actually quite rare. I mean, I look at this uh, Virginia Tech Hokie squad, and I know there's going to be a serious learning curve. I know that, in fact, when you don't have experience returning a quarterback and you're breaking in a new offense, 
That means everybody is learning. That means that nobody has experience. So going into that matchup in less than 61 days in the Battle of Bristol against Tennessee, where what many expect to be the largest crowd in Bristol history, I mean, that's going to be huge. I expect the Virginia Tech Hokie squad, however, to improve throughout the season. It's going to take time. Being able to, I mean, going to Bristol amongst a fan of 110,000 and with the, with the mindset of having to learn a new offense, with the so-called neutral game that's going to be filled with orange, I mean, that's a lot of pressure. And then going to Notre Dame, I mean, these matchups are going to be massive. But I think that the learning that happens through these games is going to benefit the Virginia Tech Hokie program eventually. I mean, you think about it. When Frank Beamer took over the program, Virginia Tech was a laughing stock. However, he continued to build and build and build. And he demonstrated that, hey, utilizing the pipelines of just Virginia players, he was able to ascend his program to elite status where they averaged over 10 wins a season. So we do know that they do have the pieces. Now we just got to make sure that they learn the plays. And so although uh, the offense, of course, has the playmakers, I think the expectation of them being able to improve on a 7-6 and six season is definitely something that's rational. It's definitely something that's believable. But the only question is, will it be conceivable? As I say in life, as I say in sports, when it comes to determining the fate of Virginia Tech Hokies in 61 days, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. I want to thank Roy Hatfield for coming on to the show and sharing his thoughts about the Virginia Tech Hokies. I want to spend the rest of my show talking about uh, the awareness, uh, social awareness of athletes. We're entering into a time where social media plays such such a prominent role in our athletes. And at one point it may have been the media being preserved specifically just for pro athletes. But now we find ourselves in a world where high school players, freshmen, sophomores, even eighth graders are starting to gain a lot, gain large followings based off of their athletic acumen. And with that comes a lot of considerable amount of pressure. When things happen in our world, when, when events take place, we turn to our social media sites, our Facebook, our Snapchat, our Twitter, our Instagram to see if, in fact, these athletes are going to respond. And I say to myself, it places a considerable amount of pressure, specifically on our college athletes. When I went to Twitter, I saw that Leonard Fournette, of course, who was from LSU, uh, Heisman's favorite, he uh, was wearing a shirt uh, in response to uh, the incidents that took place in Baton Rouge. And I said to myself, man, there used to be a time where a 19 or 20-year-old could just be a 19 and 20-year-old college student. There used to be a time when I was in college where all I worried about was going to parties, going to class, and making sure that I did well in my grades. But now we have a situation where these athletes, the spotlight is on them, and it's not stopped. It's not stopped to the degree that you have Leonard Fournette talking about donating his shoes last season uh, for the uh, through the flood victims in South Carolina. You hear about incidences like this, and it makes you realize that times are changing. And it used to be a time when Michael Jordan said that, hey, I'm not going to be a social activist. 
But it's now come to a particular point that if, in fact, you say nothing, you also end up destroying your own brand. So it's interesting now. You see a lot of athletes posting their opinions and expressing their thoughts, and that's something that's new. There used to be a time where all they talked about was, hey, I'm a football player, I'm a basketball player, I'm trying to sell products, I'm trying to sell brands, and nothing else. But now we've transitioned to this 24-hour media cycle where access to, to athletes is now uninhibited. And when you speak, you're praised. And when you don't speak, you're crucified. Just to think that that, that type of pressure is now being placed on eighth graders who just recently got offered by Alabama, UCLA, and Auburn. Just think about that. But nevertheless, you know, I promised at the start of my show that I was going to share my impressions about uh, the Dwayne Wade signing. And I can honestly tell you that what my impression from the Dwayne Wade signing was this. Loyalty is for suckers. I mean, when we're talking about a a billion-dollar industry, the people who find themselves using the loyalty card always find themselves in the unemployment line. I consider it a complete travesty uh, that Dwayne Wade surrendered $25 million in order to bring on his friend LeBron James, in order to bring on his power, and Chris Bosch, with the hope and the expectation that he would be rewarded for his loyalty. And unfortunately, at the age of 34, he got a grim reality that guess what? You're only as good as, you, as what you can produce. And that's the truth. And I'm happy that Dwayne Wade went ahead and boldly took that step and signed elsewhere, signed where someone would value and appreciate him. And also on the other side of it, I completely understand the position that uh, Pat Riley was under with the Miami Heat. Hey, your, your goal is to be able to maximize assets into those assets. When those assets are no longer viable, you trade those assets, release those assets, and get new ones. And ultimately, that's what I believe that Pat Riley did. Pat Riley was willing to offer $10 million. Why? Because, hey, it took less before, so maybe it'll take less again because of loyalty. However, out of this whole situation, I truly believe that the person who suffered the most, besides the sign of guy uh, who signed for $94 million, is Pat Riley. Because when you sell this brand of being loyal, a heat lifer, and then the guy who brought you five Eastern Conference championships, three national, three NBA titles, and millions and millions of dollars endorsements and advertising to your city, and then you dismiss, demote, and ignore him like this publicly, it's not going to do well. It's not going to play well because, unfortunately, yes, Wayne Wade will come and go, but the impact of what happened with Wayne Wade and Pat Riley is something that's going to be felt significantly. At this particular point, immediately what I thought of, I said, man, I guess Pat Riley's going to be retiring soon. Because if, in fact, you can't deliver a message that's believable, and, of course, we've seen that guess what he missed out, that message didn't work with LeBron. The message didn't work with Kevin Durant. The message, of course, did not work with Dwayne Wade. And according to reports, that message is already wearing thin with Chris Fox. You say to yourself, after seeing how Dwayne Wade was treated by, by Pat Riley, what free agent in their right mind is going to want to go to Miami? But think about it. You give up money for the betterment of the team. You promise that maybe you're going to get that money back. You don't get that money back. 
Why, oh why, would you consider going to that program? Why, oh why, would you consider going to that franchise? Now, of course, you know, this is kind of how the circle goes. People, when we think about great athletes or great players, we don't think about how they end. When we think about Patrick Ewing, we don't think that he actually finished his career in Toronto. When we think about Shaquille O'Neal, we don't think about the round robin of teams that he played for after, of course, his talent was no longer at an elite level. I think six teams. I mean, we think about our athletes at their highest points, but ultimately the final outcome of all athletes is ultimately they find themselves being released by the, by the program or franchise that, that said they loved them when really all they loved was their talent. And at the end of the day, should you really feel bad if, in fact, they love the talent and in exchange for the talent, you got millions of dollars to be able to set your family up forever? I don't know. I don't think anyone's really to blame here. I don't know if you can tell that I go back and forth on this particular topic, but it's going to be really intriguing to see what sales pitch Pat Riley is able to sell right now next year. Because honestly, the same sales pitch that worked to get LeBron James, Wayne Wade, and Chris Bosch, he's going to have to go back to the drawing table. But I just don't think it's not going to work, partner. Now, again, as I bring my show to a close, I am excited that college football is almost here. I am overjoyed. Our Countdown to Kickoff series, of course, will continue. You can check out the podcast on eatdrinksleepsports.com, E-A-T-D-R-N-K-S-L-P-S-P-R-T-G.com. And also be sure and check out my latest articles. Remember that sports gives us an opportunity to take a time out on life, and all the things that have a tendency of stressing us out. I want to thank you guys for taking a break with me. 61 days, y'all. College football will be back. Holla to you guys. Peace.